0: If you want to take your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter one. That's where we're going to be at in Ephesians chapter number one. Um, I, was, I kind of feel like uh, we've been going through this series. You know, Justin he preached two of them. Then Ben preached last week about giving. I'm sure you're probably still shocked that he said not to tithe. So if you are, um, good. Um, but uh, so uh, I get to. Uh, I'm not. I'm not batting cleanup here because I think there's one or two sermons following this. I can't quite remember what the schedule is, but. I'm like the fun uncle of the sermon series because I get to deal with the, uh, the fun stuff. I don't have to get up here and talk about money and all that. stuff I don't have to do that. I'm so glad I don't have to either. It's so great. I get to get up here and talk about the things that interest me, and uh, you get to follow along. Hopefully if my thought patterns are somewhat uh, in line with what's going on here, and I hope it will be. Uh, We're going to Ephesians chapter number one. We've been talking about the New Testament church, New Testament giving. Uh, This morning we're going to talk about what it means to have Christ as the head of the church. Um, Hopefully this will bring some clarity uh, and some cohesion in our thinking when it comes about when we use phrases like that in church, Christ is the head of the church. Who's heard that before? Raise your hand. All right, yeah. How many of us really, really know what that means? You know how does it function, uh, so to speak? It's one of those phrases that we use in church. That's just common. You know what I mean? We just throw it out there. Like, oh, Christ is the head of the church. We're like, oh, hey man, I'm going to tithe more or not tithe? I'm going to give more because, all right, Hey man, Christ is the head of the church. What does it mean? I have no clue. All right, it just means that when we sing songs, we don't sing them about the pastor. You know what I mean? Uh, or, you know, we, we do things, we don't make it about these people, we make it about Jesus. And to an extent, in a very surface way, that's true. That, I mean, that's part of it. Uh, but the, the meat and potatoes of what it means to have Christ as the head of the church is much more significant than that. Uh, Christ as the head of the church is more than just him being the head of some uh, group of people that get together on a weekly basis. It's much more than that. Because even, though, even when we leave the, the walls of the confines of this room and children's church is over and we resuscitate the children's church workers and uh, the, you know, the nursery workers, we you know, go back there and give them shock therapy and it's all over and we leave and we go fight the crowds to eat at San Miguel's because this is the cheapest place around here. And all that, when all that's over, you know, uh, what does it mean to have Christ as the head of the church if the, us as the church aren't together? Uh, And so we're going to go through this, hopefully, uh, to help you out this morning. Um, This is some of my favorite portions of Scripture in Ephesians chapter 1. I'm reading the New King James Version if you need to change the tab at the top of your phone. Or if you're just going to rough it out and read a completely different version as I go through there, good job. Nick, we all know you can't read, so it doesn't matter. All right, verse number 15 of Ephesians chapter number 1. I'm going to read all the way down to the end of the chapter and hopefully get all the words right. This is Paul basically, what he's doing here is he's telling this Ephesians church how he prayed for them. Uh, there are a number, there are three different times Paul wrote the prayer uh, that he made for the different believers in the different regions or at a particular church. This is one of them. Uh, and he says in verse 15, Therefore I also, after I heard your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, ...may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Him. The eyes of our understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of His calling, what are the riches of His glory and of the inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of His power towards us who believe, according to the working of His mighty power, which He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at the right hand in heavenly places, far above all principalities and powers, and might and dominion, and every name that is named not only in this age, but that which is also to come. And he has put things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body. Now, notice what it says here about the church and the body of Christ. Now, this is very important. He says, the fullness of him who fills all in all. You see, the very representation of who Jesus is is made on this earth through you. Now, In a very legalistic setting, that can be very nerve-wracking. I know it was for me for years. You know, a preacher stands up or someone stands up and they tell me that what people know about Jesus is only going to come through you. I'm thinking to myself, this is going to be a train wreck, all right? Uh, Because if they only know who Jesus is based on me, uh, wow, we're going to have issues here. But really what he's saying here is this, and this is what we've got to grasp. Jesus representing himself through the church is not up to you. It's up to him. Right, so it wasn't our idea. all right? It was his idea. My point here being is this. If we look at it like we've got to behave in this particular manner so people see who Jesus is, you know what we're actually saying? We're actually saying it's my job to be Jesus for him. You see, what Jesus is trying to get us to understand is this, is that Christ is the head of the church. Jesus isn't only in a position over us. He's also in a practical function through us, which is why we have the Holy Spirit of God living in you and I. See, if we didn't have the Holy Spirit of God, yeah, it would be very nerve-wracking. It would be very stressful. It would be an overwhelming thing uh, for us to have to be this duplication of Jesus Christ based on our own behaviors. Because, listen, you and I both know that we've already messed that up this week, all right? Some of us, and this is just the way people think, some of us come to church because we think to ourselves, I've got to go to church in order to be able to make it through the next week. That is not what uh, getting together with the church is about. Getting together with the church is about the expression of Jesus Christ on this earth, to the earth, through us, out into the world. That's why Jesus said go out into all the world, not just stay huddled together in the upper room, right? And so... Let me make sure I'm staying on track here. Now, we must understand that Christ's headship to his church is made up not only of the position, but also as a function as well. I've never butchered a chicken in my life. Thank God I don't have to, all right? Somebody at Walmart or Fresh Market or Publix does that for me, all right? I don't have to do it. But I know we have a term in the South. You ever heard it? Running around like a chicken with your head cut off? You, you never use that in a positive manner, you know? <laughs> You never say, wow, they're very productive like a chicken that runs about with his head removed. You know, you never, you never say it in that form. You know what I mean? It's always a negative connotation. Like, man, they're running around like a chicken with their head cut off, which means there's lots of commotion, there's lots of movement, but there is nothing getting accomplished except for maybe entertainment purposes. I don't know. Some of you are Googling chicken with the head cut off on YouTube right now. I know. And so there's, when we use that phrase, what we're saying is this. And you've seen it before, you know what it's like. When you remove the, the head from the chicken, he's just running around. There's lots of movement, there's lots of activity, there's lots of action, but you know what there's not? There's not any life. What we're seeing, what we see in that scenario is not an animal that has life being given to it. We actually see it in its death throes, don't we? A good friend of mine, his name's Ken Grief, he lives out in uh, Kansas. He wrote a book on the, I can't, it was this big, long, very fancy sounding name, like, uh, you know, the basic function and the normal action of Christ through the church. He wrote this like dissertation. Somehow I made it through, all right? And in one of his statements, he made that, I want to quote him correctly in case he actually hears this. He says, in my opinion, the 21st century church, now when he says church, he's not talking about denominations, he's talking about the body of Christ as a whole. He says, in my opinion, the 21st century church is operating as if it has been decapitated. And to an extent, I will agree with that. Because there's a whole lot of commotion, there's a whole lot of movement, there's a whole lot of activity. There's a whole lot of getting together in one place. But we have to ask ourselves, how much life is being displayed outside of those scenarios? You see, that's where Christ as the head of the church comes in. And there's a tendency for you and I to think that he's a head of this organization, like he's some sort of spiritual CEO. But the fact of the matter is, is him being the head of the church, Jesus himself is our individual functional lives. And when we gather together as a group, that life being displayed is not going to contradict one another. You see what I mean? Even Paul dealt with that in the Corinthian church. Remember, he said, when you guys get together, everybody's got like their own thing that they think God's saying to them. See, God doesn't say one thing to uh, Nick, and he doesn't say a different thing to me uh, when it comes about who he is. Everything is going to be cohesive. It's going to go together. That requires you and I being very aware of what the Holy Spirit of God is saying to you and I. It requires so much you and I not to do something, but to just simply make ourselves available to what he wants to say and do. Um, So as we get into this today... We're going to look at three things. You're not supposed to tell people how many points you have, but I have three. We may end up with six. I might end at one just to throw you off. You never know. I told somebody I'll be through in 30 minutes. That was a lie. It's already 18 minutes past the hour, and we even got into point number one, so we better hurry up, right? I'm trying to help you get to the Golden Corral first, all right? I'm just trying to be a blessing is all it is. All right, so, you know, let me just say this. I want to get my, my thoughts kind of put together here before we jump into the text. When it comes to thinking about Christ as the head of the church, we do not live properly in order to know Christ as our functional life. That's very important to remember. That doesn't mean living properly. And if we were to pass out a piece of paper and I were to say write down five things that you think is living properly as a Christian, we would have so many different answers in that thing. So it's kind of a generic term, I understand, but we don't live properly to know Christ as our life. We have to know Christ as our life in order for Him to behave through us as He's designed us to live. Now, I know that might sound like a word game, but it is actually very different if you begin to just meditate on what's being said about it. One is all about you. The other is all about what Jesus does in you. One is about our, our ability to buckle down, pull up the bootstraps, and make it work. And we have all been there in Christianity. Every one of us in this room, if we've been saved for any amount of time... And if we were aware of what was going on, we will say, yes, I have heard sermon after sermon. I've been in scenario after scenario. Don't even get me started on revival meetings. You've made so many promises to God in a revival meeting, haven't you? I mean, you basically promised God you'd hand him the moon if necessary. You know, you're going to stop this, and you're going to start that, and this is going to happen, and that's not going to happen anymore. And all the intentions that we had in making sure those things came to pass in our lives are really irrelevant when we're not looking to the proper source to see them come true. And so we're going to look at three things about this idea of Christ being the head of the church. And it's going to sound like they're not connected, but I promise you they are, and we'll come full circle and you'll see. The first thing is this about Christ being the head of the church. We have to have a revelation of who Jesus Christ is to know him as the head of the church. Now, in verse number 17, if you want to look back down there with me, it says, uh, this is Paul kind of in the midst of his prayer and what he prays for these uh, believers. He says that, The God of our Lord Jesus Christ... The Father of glory. Now, this is important. He says, May give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of who? Him. The revelation and the wisdom God is talking about here is not a revelation to you about somebody else. All right? There's a danger of that in the church where we kind of tend to categorize revelation like God tells us something to go tell somebody else. And that happens at times. Don't get me wrong. That is a, there, there is a function within the body for that. But the main revelation that God gives all of us is a spirit of wisdom and revelation about the knowledge of Him. You see, God's more interested in you knowing about Him than He's interested in you knowing about somebody else. Now, and I'm not, again, I don't want you to think that I'm downplaying. I've had people come up to me and say that God told them to tell me this. And some of it came to pass. I've also had people come up to me and said, God told me to tell you this. And it was the most out and left fieldish, craziest thing that I've ever heard in my life. And I couldn't help but try not to laugh when I was told what God told them to tell me, all right? It happens sometimes. Fortunately, that's the minority, right? And so when he's pointing this out here, he's saying, listen... Headship is about you knowing him. About you knowing him. That spirit of revelation is based on the knowledge of who Jesus Christ is. Um, it's very interesting, and I'm, I'm a word person. I like, like little words and phrases catch my attention when I'm reading. And notice that he uses the word in verse number 18 again. He says, Un- you're understanding being enlightened. This is a good thing. This is one of the things that separate Christianity from Eastern mysticism and things of that nature. Because in a a mystic type of a religious system, you are attempting to get yourself enlightened in some way. You know, you're going to climb the mountain. You're going to read the book. You're going to consult with the guru. Uh, And even though Christianity is an Eastern religion, it is because it's from the Eastern part of the world is relative to us anyway. And that And in this instance, all non-Christian religions are all about us gaining something. The great thing about Christianity is it's not about you gaining some knowledge about God. It's about God revealing a knowledge of who he is to you. You see, that's what grace is about. Grace is not about us achieving a knowledge of Christ. It's about God stepping in and saying, here I am. Now, when this happened, you know, 2,000 plus years ago when Jesus showed up on the scene, It was a very mind-blowing event. Because for years, people had decided that they were going to figure out who God is. Now, I'm of this persuasion, and I feel like I've kind of got somewhat of a biblical basis for it. And if we need to get down and dirty and talk about it, not down and dirty and talk about it, but maybe, wow, (laughs) scratch that. If uh, we need to talk about it later uh, in a non-argumentative way is what I meant. I'm of this persuasion, particularly when it comes... in. In this instance, when it comes to an unsaved human being, if an unsaved human being decides they're going to pop their head up off the pillow one morning and say, I think I'm going to go figure out who God is. I'm convinced that 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 will not happen. The Bible says because there's none that seek after him, and there's none that know him. You see, the grace of God is all about God intervening in our lives and calling us to himself. It's not about us going and finding him. You know, we give our testimonies, and I know it's well-intentioned, and we say things like, well, the day that I found God. Well, no. (laughs) We didn't find God. God found us. He came to us. He initiated everything with us. And we responded to his initiation. We responded to him coming to us. And this is what the text is saying here. Paul is saying, listen, I'm praying this. I'm praying that when God comes to you and he enlightens your eyes, that he will give you that spirit of wisdom and revelation in the name of who Jesus Christ really is. Because I don't know about you, but there are times that I'm kind of confused about who he is. There's times when my past tries to dictate to me who Jesus is and what he thinks like. And I need God to come along and correct that and kind of right the ship, if you will. There is a necessity of full disclosure Now, I was in a very religious circle like some of you guys were. We all have different backgrounds, which is actually really neat as we're all one church and we have such diverse backgrounds. I like that. I was in a background that made it seem like, and I'll say this about about false teaching. False teaching really isn't based around what's said. It's usually based around what's implied by what's said. It's much more insidious that way. You know, I can make implications about things. And you know what they do? They begin to put question marks in your mind, right? It's a lot different than just coming out and saying it. And so there were a lot of question marks about things that were implied and just right out said at times that the full disclosure of who Jesus Christ was was dependent on me and how willing I was to dig in deep and make the sacrifice to know him. You know what I mean? What, what would it take for me to give up to know who he was? It's all, it was very reactionary. It's very legalistic, you know. Like I've got to sacrifice, I've got to choose things to sacrifice in my life in order to know him rather than knowing him and then as a result then make the sacrifices of things that don't need to be in my life. That's very backward. And so the full disclosure that we tend to struggle with is this, and I've heard Andrew Farley, another pastor, kind of put it this way. It's kind of like God in a swivel chair, you know, like one of those office chairs. I mean, I have one at work in my office, and I even play in it sometimes where I just spend myself in a circle, you know. And so, I mean, somebody's got to do it. I'm trying to lead by example as the boss, all right? I'm just trying to do what i got to do. But it's kind of like God in a swivel chair. You're like, oh, you, you did your devotions today. Here I am. And you're like, oh, you cuss at that old lady that pulled out in front of you in traffic? <laughs> we'll talk about things later as soon as you get this taken care of, you know. Oh you, you, oh, you did something good. I'm back. <laughs> Here I am, you know. And like, oh, man, I told you to give $30 and you only gave $15. i will catch you later, you know. And I know that's a little exaggerated, uh, but to an extent it's true, isn't it? To where we feel like God revealing himself to us is a matter of us behaving or talking God into showing his face towards us. When the fact of the matter is, is it's God that stepped down and said, here's my face. Here's what I'm like. This is the kind of person that I really am. You see, without acknowledging that, it's possible for you and I to be willing to operate under the headship of Jesus Christ and allow his, his life to function as our life. You know why? Because we're going to be guarded, aren't we? The focus of everything we do or don't do will be ourselves rather than just simply knowing who Jesus is. Christianity is so simple. What did, what did Paul say to the Corinthians? He says, he goes, I'm concerned that somebody's going to draw you away from the simplicity that's in Jesus Christ. Christianity is the most, the most basically laid out, if we can say, quote, unquote, air quotes, for those of you who are on the podcast, air quotes, religion, if we can say it that way, that there is. It's simple. It's not complicated. It's Jesus Christ and everything about who he is. And he is... Anyways, I'm going to go off on a tangent. I don't want to go down that road just yet. we got other things to talk about here. Paul said in Philippians 3.10 that I might know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings be made conformable to his death. You see the emphasis there? We're so worried about killing ourselves off. We're so worried about putting everything else about us to death. Paul was like, there's one thing I want to know. I just want to know him, what he went through, who he is, what he did, how that affects me. That's what I want to know. We, we tend to do it the exact opposite, don't we? We want to know about everything that we've done that affects us and what we can accomplish and how it affects us and what we haven't done and how it affects us. Paul said, I don't want to know any of that. You know why? Because he said in that same chapter, Philippians chapter 3, he says, everything that I can take and mold into this form that I call myself really is worth nothing more than dung. I mean, it is like a spiritual uh potty he was like, I don't want to, look, porta potties are rough things, man. You don't want to go in those suckers, right? I was like, you don't brag about the fact, yeah, we don't have a toilet in my house, so we just have a porta potty out in the yard. <laughs> it's just the way we roll. Actually, Ben, I think you have a porta potty in your front yard right now. <laughs> Sorry, I just want everybody to know how elegant you were. <laughs> but we don't brag about things like that, do we? The religious mindset teaches us to brag about the very things that ultimately shame us before God it instills in us a mentality to embrace self righteousness and and just put down the righteousness of Jesus Christ is very secondary. Now I know that's kind of a harsh statement and I'm not saying it in a judgmental way because I'd be like some kind of weird reverse <laughs> self righteousness but the fact of the matter is is that it's true. Religion teaches us to elevate who we are and put Jesus at a very I mean I mean he's at a tight number 2. You know what I mean? If anything, we're kind of like right there. What I do affects him. What I do affects him. Listen, if what we did so much affected God in in the way that religion would make us to think, I would not want to get within 200 miles of who God is. Because there's no telling where he's going to fly off the handle. There's no telling when he makes that that step left or he turns around. When is he going to come back? We've all known people in our lives that are like that. You ever had to walk on eggshells around somebody? Those are not the people you call and hang out with casually, because there's no telling what's going to happen next. And so, as a re- to know Christ as head, we have to have a revelation of who He is. One of the um, I heard Dan's not here, so I can't harass him, but he gave a, a good illustration one time. At least one time he did, you know. I'm kidding. He's given two. And uh, he was talking about, I believe it was on his podcast, and he talked about how uh, our, our knowing Christ as our functional life, knowing Christ as our head, those two coincide in my mind. To know Christ as head of the church and to know Christ as your functional life mean the same thing. And Dan gave this illustration of it's like a radio uh, signal. A radio signal is constantly going out. You know, I I don't listen to the radio very much. I guess 99.9, that's one. That's like some kind of adult alternative thing. Wow, that's, which is, never mind, I'm not going to get into that. So 99.9, it's broadcasting out there. It's going on. Uh, The the music right now for the radio station for 99.9 is being broadcasted out right now as we sit here. The reason why we don't hear it is because we're not tuned in to hear it. You see, and knowing Christ as our functional life and knowing Christ as head is that same way. Jesus is constantly speaking. God is constantly broadcasting to you and I, constantly. The difference between operating Him as our life and and Him as the head of the church is whether or not we're going to choose to tune in to what He's saying. And so what Paul is saying here is, I'm praying that God will send the signal, that you'll hear the signal... And that you'll know him as your life. The second thing here is this. In verse number 18, Paul points out that God, that, that Christ has provided something for you and I. Now, if we look back at verse number 18 with me, please. All right, it says, he says this again, and reiterating it almost. He says, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. Notice he didn't tell us to enlighten ourselves he says I'm praying that you will be enlightened by God himself. He goes on and says that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who being who excuse me I lost my place who believe according to the working of his mighty power which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places. So what Paul is saying is this. He's like listen Not only am I praying that God will give you a revelation of who Jesus is in a very full way, I'm also praying that God will give you a revelation of the extent of what Jesus has done for you. A lot of us as believers live right there. We are living with a part of the gospel. We're living with a Jesus died part of the gospel. And that's part of the gospel, but that's not all of the gospel. Jesus did more than die. Which he did, and when he did die, he took care of sin. I like what uh, Watchman Nee said about this when he talks about the gospel of Christ, the death, uh, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. When Jesus died on the cross, Jesus' body, or excuse me, Jesus' blood took care of your sins. But Jesus' body took care of the sinner himself. And the resurrection of Jesus took care of the spirit of man you see, all that works together to make you and I the person that God originally intended us to be. What Adam was like in the garden. And so what Paul is pointing out to us here is this, is that God has done something for you and I. He, he is going to be enlightening us. Most of us live in a constant confusion about God rather than a constant confidence with God. Because in this verse he talks about this idea of that you might know the hope of his calling. Now, the calling of God, boy, that's deep stuff, right? Everybody wants to know what God's called them to. I'm going to settle all the confusion in your mind right now with that. I promise you, it will help you. The confusion that we have about what has God called me to is the wrong question entirely. The question that we should be asked or we should have in our mind is who has God called me to? God has called you unto himself, the purpose that every believer has is the person of Jesus Christ. To know Jesus Christ is to know your purpose for existing. Now, I don't know. Does anybody recognize the name uh, Chris Cornell? Anybody ever remember, remember that name? Okay. Yes, Chris Cornell was uh, back in the uh, back in the '90s. He was kind of the leader of this the alternative rock uh, culture coming out of Seattle. Uh, he was the front man for bands like Soundgarden, Slave. Uh, different things like that. Some of you don't know who it is. If you don't, I'm sorry, you should Google that. I actually like them. Uh, in the early 2000s, uh, Soundgarden broke up and he started a band called Audio Slave. Um, and uh, they did very, very good. They, they got great music, in my opinion. And uh, Chris Cornell was a tortured soul uh, as you listen to what he talks about a lot. Uh, when I listen to music, lyrics are very important to me because I want to hear what they're saying. I want to kind of decipher what's going on in their mind. I may not always agree with it, but I want to hear and see what they're saying. You know what I mean? Uh, it gives, I like it because it gives you insight into a way of thinking that you, it may be foreign to you, even though you may not agree with it. And he was a very tortured soul. Unfortunately, last year of May, I think it was on like May 16th or 18th or something like that, of last year, he took his own life. That's pretty sad. Uh, as a lot of, of tortured, tragic, you know, famous people tend to do in his scenario. When he was with the group Audio Slave, he wrote a song. Uh, they wrote a song, and the name of the song was called Teach Me How to Live, which was an interesting name of a song. Here's the chorus of it it goes like this. And again, I'm not saying you got to agree with it, just listen to what he's got to say here, all right? Uh, he says, uh, There's a nail in my head from my creator. You gave me life, now show me how to live. Now, that was the the verse of the song. That caught my attention for this reason. I thought to myself, for years, I felt the exact same way about God. Because there was this nagging thing stuck in my mind that this is how life's supposed to be, but yet I felt like no one was showing me how to make sure it would actually happen. You know, and a lot of believers live like that. They live with this nagging thought in their mind. This is how life should be. This is how life should be. But I don't know how to get there for myself personally. That's why the hope of our calling is not found and how we can get somewhere. The hope of our calling is found in knowing the person of Jesus Christ. Show me how to live should be show me the person of Jesus Christ. And I'm not saying that you go out and copy him. Have you ever heard that that philosophy, too? You know, just go out and do what Jesus did. Well, good luck with that, all right? Uh, Because there's a couple of things, uh, just a few, just a handful of things Jesus did that I really don't think I can pull off. Nothing he did I can pull off. I mean, there were like uh, like hardcore self-righteous people that tried to kill him, and he didn't retaliate towards them, did he? I mean, there were these people that were completely broken. Their lives were totally devastated. Jesus brought them in close to him and didn't care about his reputation one time. We don't even do that often, do we? We're careful about who gets too close because we don't p- want people to come to assumptions about the kind of person that we are, aren't we? Maybe we have little you know, sayings for it. You run with dogs, what you get? You get fleas. Now, I understand that has something to do with behavior, but a lot of times it has to do with social uh, you know, acquaintances, doesn't it? So, I'm not saying that we go out and copy Jesus. That's not what God even intended. That's not even the way that Jesus lived. Jesus said in John, I think it's John chapter 13, don't quote me on the the street address, but I think it's John chapter 13. In John chapter 13, Jesus said, and I quote, I do nothing of myself but what that the Father shows me. That's a pretty intense statement. So we look at Jesus and we say, well, Jesus, Jesus made this happen. No, he didn't. Jesus was the perfect representation of what it was like for a man to live on this earth and be in absolute 100% total dependence on the Father. You see, that's the same kind of headship. That's the same kind of functional life that Christ himself wants to have with you and I. It's not my life alone, and it's not his life alone. It's our life together it is a cooperation that's what Paul meant in Galatians chapter 220 uh, Galatians chapter 2 verse number 20 when he says i'm crucified with christ nevertheless i live yet not i but christ lives in me and the life i now live in the flesh i live by the faith of the son of god who loved me and gave himself for me that's what he meant he says it's not me and it's not it's not just me and it's not just christ but it's christ and i together that's what headship's about Headship is not about God just giving... When I was in college and I was in a different religious setting, it was all about like God was the general of this army. I was this foot soldier and he was just handing down orders. You know what I'm saying? But that's not the way the New Testament lays it out. New Testament lays it out this way, that I am in a a cooperative relationship with the God of the universe. He desires to function together with me and both of our lives be one life. Now, let's go ahead and kind of pull this together here because I've got to hurry. It's already 1140. I guarantee you the Presbyterians are already out of service. They are headed to San Miguel's. They are going to get all the fresh burritos, all right? And we can't have that, all right? We've got to beat them there. Look at verse number 18 with me. I want you to see. Wait, let me skip down here. Let me get back to my notes here. Let me get back. Let's get refocused. Look at verse number 19. Let's do that. Verse number 19. This is a revelation about the actual power that lives within you. Now, in verse number 19, he says, And what is the exceeding greatness? Now, that phrase right there is enough to sit and talk about for a while. The exceeding greatness of his power toward us. If you, don't, if you like to underline your Bible, I would underline the phrase toward us. The exceeding greatness of God's power is not for him to just show off. Did you know that? There is this idea that God is powerful just so he can sit back and ooh and ah us. Though we are are in awe of who he is, but he's not a magician pulling a rabbit out of his sleeve saying, ta-da, that's not what he's doing. That's not his function. That's not what he wants. Do we really think that God is such a megalomaniac or an egomaniac that he has got to have somebody impressed with him? He's living, he was, in eternity past... He was perfectly satisfied in dwelling with Himself in that Trinitarian union with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He created man to enjoy what that fellowship is like. Because, you know, when you are pure love, you can't hold it into yourself. You want to give it to other people, to other entities, if I can put it that way. And God said, I have got so much love. I have got such a perfect union of existence. Other people would love to exist in this scenario. And so he creates Adam and Eve. And he gives them the perfect scenario to where they can live their lives in 100% union with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in one. Can you imagine that? Well, we should be able to imagine it, shouldn't we? We shouldn't even have to imagine it. We should be able to know it in our spirits as it being real. Because this power that he's talking about, this resurrection power in verse number 20 is all directed at you. Not you as in this group that we say is pure grace, though it is, but I'm saying individually. It is directed singularly at you. It's very easy for us to take these truths and spread them over a corporate group and say it's for you in that sense. Kind of like God so loved the world. You know, that seems so huge. Where do I fit in at that? But it's different when God looks at you and says, I love you. And he points right at you. And that's what's going on here. Uh, This phrase in the Greek language gives the descriptive idea of someone pulling an arrow out, putting it in the bow, pulling it back, and shooting you with it is what it gives the idea. It's that directive. When he says, this mighty power, and he says in the next verse, that raised up Jesus Christ from the dead, God has put crosshairs on you and has directed it specifically to you as an individual believer. You see, headship isn't about spreading that over a group. It's about accepting it for yourself, number one. And when we accept that as true as ourselves, when we get together as a group, you know what's going to happen? There's going to be an open display of what that means. Let's see here. You know, I, this brings to my mind. You know, I spent, I spent years, and uh, me and Ben have talked about this in depth. Uh, I've, or Ben and I, have spent years talking about this in depth. For you English particulars, all right, not naming any, <laughs> you're welcome, good sir. <laughs> Though, it, full disclosure, wasn't for you, but you can have it too. <laughs> it was particularly a jab at someone. But anyways, not a jab, kind of just a, anyways, Ben and I, uh, I know for myself, and Ben as well, for a majority of my early Christian life, I spent a lot of time begging God for things, just out and out begging God for things. Uh, when I was in Bible college, uh, there was a, a small group of us about three and four, three or four of us, and when we had breaks and classes, we would go into this little wooded area behind the college and we would pray and it was uh, It was a sight to behold, all right I mean uh, There's this one guy, coincidentally enough, his name was Ben, too. He was a very animated character. And uh, many, I remember one time we were all praying. I'm like, I'm praying over this old rotten log. You know, I got like ants crawling all over me. But uh, bless God, we were in the woods praying. Amen. It's different then. And so we're praying right there in the woods. You know, I look over uh, this other guy named Ben. He is, not to be confused with that, Ben, is sitting Indian style in this pile of leaves, grabbing handfuls of. St- Uh, twigs and leaves and dirt, and I feel it just showering down on us as he throws it in the air, begging God for his power. And, you know, when the God in heaven slid forward to the front of the throne, he parted the heavens with his fingers, and he looked down there at a bunch of morons in the woods, (laughs) throwing dirt in the air, calling down fire from heaven as Elijah did to lick up all the water, right? Right? begging God for his power, and he said, guys, what are you doing? <laughs> I'm sure he was probably, you know, he was probably like, that's cute, that's nice. They don't get it, though. Because they think that's what they have to do to get the power directed towards them. When the whole time, all the shenanigans and all the tomfoolery uh, that went on begging God for his power, was, it was pointless. Because the power was already in us. And the person of who Jesus Christ is. You see... We make it so complicated, don't we? I mean, if we're, I mean, if we really, I mean, if you really get serious with God, you ever heard that before? Get real serious, and then God's going to give you the power. You know what I mean? I, I would love to interview the people that think they're serious with God because I think we'd find a lot of chinks in their I'm serious with God with armor if we wanted to go that route. There's always somebody that's more serious too. Have you ever noticed that? You know, there's always somebody else that's just, they're just more on fire, right? I mean, they've just, they've got, I remember I worked on staff at a church across town, and uh, there was another church right next to us, and I guess it was their youth pastor. Youth pastors can be some of the most entertaining people you'll ever meet, by by the way. And this guy, he had a little Honda Civic hatchback or something like that. I remember this car very vividly. I think it had every sticker of every dead-and-gone 90s, early 2000s Christian hard rock band that existed on the back of it. I don't even see how he could see out of the back of it. He had fashioned this giant wooden cross and had fastened it to the top of his car. (laughs) And uh, on the back of his windshield, it said Boy on Fire. And I'm not real sure if that was his nickname, it was a boy band that he liked, or what. I don't know what it was, like Burn the Stage or something. I don't know, Uh, but it was some kind of odd name like that. And I remember thinking to myself... You know, first off, I laughed. I'm sorry. I did. I made fun of it. You would have too, all right? I mean, if you would have seen it, you definitely made some jabs at it. I mean, it was too easy. He just set me up. What was I supposed to do, all right? But uh, it's not my fault at this point, all right? And you know, when I look at that and I think to myself, a lot of Christians, at least he did it right out in the open. You know what I mean? A lot of the time, as believers, we're all passive-aggressive about it. You know what I mean? At least he just came right out and said, hey, man, I'm on fire for Jesus. But, you know, I thought to myself, as on fire as some people think they are, they're not the ones driving around with a wooden cross strapped to the top of the car, all right? There's always somebody that can come across like they are more into it. You see what I mean? When God's not looking for you and I to be excitable, he's looking for you and I just to live life together with him. Now, that can be exciting, and it does get exciting. And it does conjure emotion, but it conjures, the, we don't, it's, Ben and I used to make jokes that sometimes we think that we have to get God to come meet with us, like the opening scene, the end scene of like King Kong. You ever remember that? Where they're all jumping around, they're like beating drums, they're going Kong, 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 and he comes boom, kicking in the door, and there's King Kong, you know what I mean? I mean, it's not like that, you know, we're not like drums dancing around and boom, Kong shows up, no. Kong... <laughs> You're welcome, Justin. You're welcome. (laughs) I told you this was going to happen, but you wouldn't believe me. You wouldn't believe me. And a lot of... (laughs) What was that? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You know, and a lot of times we think to ourselves that begging God and dragging our face through the dirt is going to force God's hand into action. But I'll tell you what, what put God's hand into action. It wasn't our dedication to know him. It was our complete inability to know Him. That's what put God's hand into action. That's what sent Jesus Christ to become a man. So, if I can put it that way, that's what moved the heart of God. That's when Jesus, when He looked out on the multitudes, the Bible says in what Matthew chapter eleven that He was moved with compassion because they were a sheep that had no shepherd. They were suffering. It wasn't our ability to show our dedication that brought that brings and that initiates the power of God. It's the very grace of God that flows out of the heart of who Jesus Christ is revealed to us. It's already there. You know as an as an individual member of the body of Christ, we'll circle it around this way. What's your role? That's what everybody. What do I do? Tell me what to do. That's great. I love everything you just said. Hopefully especially the Kong part, but to what do I do now? You know, what, what do I do? Here's what you do. You have one thing, and that's Christ. You know Christ. You say, well, what's my spiritual, my, my spiritual gift? How does that fit? When you spend your time just simply knowing Christ, knowing him and being known, you know what's going to happen? You're going to function in your spiritual gift, and you're not even going to realize it. Everybody else is going to realize it before you realize it. I guarantee you that. They're going to see the life of Jesus Christ, the cooperative, functional life that you have with him working out on a daily basis. And people are going to say, that looks just like Jesus. And you're going to say, what are you talking about? I just, and Angela and I were talking about this last night. People are going to look at that and they're going to say this. They're going to say, well, you're going to say things like, well, that's not Jesus. That's just me like, I just like to do that. Well, the fact of the matter is this, is that Jesus likes the stuff that you like to do because he's the one that He initiated the fact that you wanted to do it to begin with. Amen. All right? So we begin to just walk in that, and it seems, to, it seems normal to us. It doesn't, you know, it seems, it doesn't, it's, I'm not going to say it seems abnormal, but it seems spiritual to other people when they see it. But to us, it just seems normal because that's what it's like to walk in union with Christ. It's normalcy to us. It's oddity to the world, but it's normalcy to you and I. The goal of us talking about all this, about what it means to be, you know, a New Testament church, is very important. Because under the old covenant, God's relation to us was lawgiver. Under the New Testament, or the new covenant relationship to you and I, his relationship to you and I is lifegiver. He's the one that connects us to what life actually is. And when we live from that connection, it becomes a very natural, normal, just sane way to live for a believer. That's what it means to have Christ as the head of the church. It doesn't mean you've got to go burn the world down for Jesus. What it means is is that you know him and Jesus begins to turn the world upside down through you. All right? Let's pray together, all right? Uh, Father, thanks uh, for uh, this truth about Christ. Being in us, thank you for you being the head of the church, Lord. We make so many things priority uh, for what it means to be spiritually minded, and uh, it's nice to have the reset button hit <clears throat> every now and again, and just to be able to put our attentions back on you, and to uh, just be able to allow you to recalibrate the the, the focus and the function of our lives. Uh, we're thankful that you've made Christianity simple, that you've made it basic and that you've made it just simply about you. I pray that you would keep the wicked one from coming into our minds and making it more complicated than it is, Uh, that we might live from the very simplicity of Jesus. And uh, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.